No Direction Network presents Pfizercon 2022 Seminar Coverage. For more great convention coverage, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the uh, official Secrets of Galarian panel for Pizacon 2022. Um, I'm James Jacobs, I'm the creative director for uh, Pathfinder, and let's have my illustrious guests introduce themselves as well. Uh, I'm Eleanor Farron, I am one of the senior developers on the Lost Omen line. I'm Luis Loza. I am the other senior developer on the last Omens line. Great. Uh, so this is a panel we do every every PaizoCon and like every, even maybe every Gen Con. It's one that I really enjoy, not just because it's super easy to set up, but that's a factor. Um, but because it's it's a great place to just chat with people and uh, pull back you know the curtain on Galarian and reveal some secrets. One thing we're not going to be telling you is how Aridin died. That's kind of the the central secret of the setting, and it's it's <laughs> one of the things that the whole thing is kind of based on. And and as long as that mystery persists, it continues to propel things forward. But pretty much everything else is is open season. So I'm going to be uh, moderating this, asking questions of the two of you, and I'll answer some of them here and there as well. Where I've got some that I've pulled from the uh, Discord. Uh, chat for this panel, and then some others that Luis, you set up a Reddit uh, sub subreddit to grab some from. But I'll also be gra uh, grabbing questions out of the stream here if anybody has any specific questions that uh, they want to get answers. So, um, this is a Pathfinder Galarian. So, for questions about Starfinder, uh, there's not really much we're going to be able to say there. So, Galarian didn't go anywhere. It's still here. Um, <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, it's in Gorek's pocket. He accidentally yeah. ran it through the washing machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. All right. So let's get started. I'll let uh, kind of some of the questions start building up in, in uh, the chat. And we'll grab some from Discord and Reddit. So, Eleanor, let's start with you. Where did Grandmaster Torch no. retire to? And why wasn't he in Lost Omens Legends? Uh, Grandmaster Torch is probably an Absalon, um, and probably under, like, very polite house arrest at Absalom. Uh, <laughs> but he might move if, uh, if, uh, he decides to. You never know with that guy. Uh, why wasn't he in Legends? I think he was on the shortlist, actually. Um, but we didn't have space for all the people we wanted to put in Legends, so... You're going to have to convince more people yeah. to buy Legends and nag Eric Mona to publish Legends 2 if you want to see yeah. Grandmaster Torch. I think we started with the list twice as long than what we got in the final book for what we were oh. thinking. And, you know, it was really hard to trim down. So there's a lot of people that almost made the cut that could have been in there. So we, we thought about Grandmaster Torch. Cool. Uh, Luis, um, let's see here. What's mm -hmm. the deal with the Primal League region over in Arcadia? Any preliminary internal ideas for what's going on? And, and while you're at it, what's the land of Second Souls deal going on? People sure. are eager for uh, Arcadia. So, <laughs> if you look at Guns and Gears, there is a map, a rough map. Don't expect that to be necessarily a finalized. It, it's not to scale and all that stuff. Who knows if we ever give you a final map that might not look exactly like that but there's a map uh, of the deadshot lands meta region which we introduced there as well as name drop a couple of different other ones uh throughout there so there's like fallen rosatlan uh there's land of second souls and one of them is the primal league which is to the north of the deadshot lands and that is officially that was ron lundin's creation because he wrote that entry so we have to figure out what exactly that means if you were to ask me today and that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what would be if we ever go over to Arcadia. Uh, it would be kind of a place where there's kind of an accord between a lot of primal casters and, and entities and fae. So druids and fae and uh, other creatures of nature probably run that place and maybe keep out civilization through some kind of accord. Whatever this joining or coalition is, is probably called the Primal League itself. And that's where that name comes from for that meta region. But we'll see what happens. As for the Land of Second Souls, uh, I will say there is a case file in Dark Archive that looks a little bit into the Land of Second Souls. And 
if you want to learn about that, I say check out Dark Archive. I will just say it's a place where death isn't broken necessarily, but it's just got uh, an, an interesting little twist. Cool. Um, let's see here. It looks like uh, the chat's got a couple of questions about the eldest. I'll grab those real quick. Um, one of them, would the eldest be capable of killing a god similar to how Lamashtu killed Desna's mentor? When is Ing going to make his move? Is the Lantern King capable of deceiving Shika? Um, the eldest uh, were created by James Sutter way back in the day, and they're kind of a one of the the unique to Galarian Pathfinder deity, demigod kind of pantheons that, I, that has really struck a chord. Um, in the the new version of Kingmaker that is finally it's off to the printer and should be available later this year. Uh, there's a, a fair bit more lore about the eldest and how they work and what's going on. Um, in particular, the Lantern King's got some shenanigans going on in there. Um, when it comes to killing a god, since gods don't use rules, they are beyond the, the uh, you know, they don't have a level, they don't have hit points or anything like that. Whether or not one lives or dies is purely driven by storyline. And so if we wanted or you wanted to tell a story where one of the elders took out one of the deities, yeah, you absolutely could. You'd, you'd want to make it a big deal, like maybe the focus of an entire campaign or the culmination of a campaign. But yeah, that could act absolutely happen. It would be best if it's kind of plays into the themes of that eldest, you know, um, rather than just they got in a fight and one of them died. So it's certainly possible. It's something that we're pretty hesitant about doing because uh, it's a game not just for you know us or your group. It's a game for every group. And there's certainly folks out there who have different favorite deities. And if we kill off a deity, we run a pretty strong risk of you know alienating players who are fans of that deity. So it's, it's one where we have to pick and choose those storylines. Uh, it's also one we don't want to do too often because it should be a really rare incident. And the more often we do it, the, the less rare it gets. So uh, let's see here. Eleanor, um, here's a question for you. Uh, someone writes, I love the Mwanga Expanse book. Can we expect any expansion on or elaboration on Shiska's, Kronsaru's, and Goloma's in the form of NPCs? What's the best way to utilize those entries in the book in the meantime? Uh, well, I, I hope so. There's actually, a, there's like a little baby Kongrasu ball in uh, Dark Archive, who's really cute. Uh, it uh, They showed up in the uh, the slides in Eric's keynote. Um, we, I mean, I can't otherwise say what we might do in the future because we haven't done it yet. So, so no guarantees. I certainly hope that we come back to them. Um, as for what to do with them in the meantime, they are very specifically meant to be mysterious and unknown, and just interacting with them is a discovery. Um, and like, I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people who, who get really enthusiastic about the game and they just read all of the books and all the material and they like to play knowledgeable characters who know everything. And so you interact, oh, you find these mysterious people. It's like, oh, I got a 31 on my knowledge check. I know everything about them. Let me let me tell them about their own culture. Um, and they're very well-meaning, but I think it can be frustrating to the GM and it can be frustrating to people who want to play that type of character and play up the mystery about them. Um, and so until such a time that we come back to these peoples, I, I would take that as the opportunity to make things your own, make it your own secrets that people can uncover either as the GM or as a, a player uh, playing something that's very mysterious without somebody else jumping in and telling the story for you. Cool. Um, here's one for you, Luis, from the chat. Uh, will we be getting full rules for star guns and guns and gears? I didn't see anything that specifically gave them stats. So star guns are interesting in that they are unique magic items. So you, you won't have a, uh, yeah, a predetermined array of, abilities they can do or anything like that. Each each star gun should be a unique item. Um, I believe 
Um, you know, you might be able to, to take a peek at the treasure vault to see if you want to find another one or two in there. Um, but they they won't have any kind of obvious rules for, for making them. They're, they're all going to be unique items. And that means you can kind of already start making them now if you go use the, the GMG rules and make your own fun uh, firearms. I'd say use the Rowan rifle in Guns and Gears as a starting example. It does interesting things. It might even have almost a, a kind of mind of its own where it only works for, for people that, that you know, uphold its cause or you know, in that case of the Rowan rifle supports uh, the fate of Arcadia and stuff like that. So go have fun, make your own fun magic item. Uh, Stargun, I'd say shoot for 15th level or higher. They should be pretty rare and exciting things that probably you can build an entire adventure or a whole campaign around. Cool. So here's one that I think I can answer from the chat. What's the history of Winsong Abbey? Um, what's going on with that place? Uh, Winsong Abbey is a location that I first came up with ages ago for my homebrew setting. I kind of wanted a, I guess the original idea was like a sort of a United Nations of re, of religions and faiths in, in my setting. I wanted a place where you could get a representative from all of the different faiths into one place and sort of a, a safe place for them all to share information to chat to philosophize without you know fear of fighting each other because you know clerics of Saren ray and Robogug don't usually get along um and so i brought it into galarian into varicia back in those early days when i'm we were scrambling on the transition from the dnd magazines to pathfinder and making things up basically all brand new and i leaned uh into my homebrew because it was easier to grab that information. So in, in the setting, uh, uh, Winsong Abbey is, is kind of the same thing. It's a place for the core 20 deities, mostly. There's a couple that kind of aren't invited, but um, where representatives of each can get together and share information, share stories, talk about uh, you know discoveries and philosophical ideas and mythologies and share legends between themselves. And, um, it ended up being uh, sort of falling apart when the Age of Lost Omens began and, and uh, Phrasma, her clerics and worshipers kind of lost their way a little bit when when uh, fate and destiny and prophecy kind of went berserk. So it kind of fell into ruin and it became a location, I think back in the part four of Shattered Star, we set an entire adventure there. So if you want to see like the map of it and how it looks today, check out uh, uh, Beyond the Doomsday Door and part four of Shattered Star. Uh, when when I was chatting with Mark Moreland about putting something onto the uh, the fiction si uh, section of our site that just talked about, you know, mythology and ancient legends and all of that, having it be something aligned with the Winsong uh, Abbey made sense to me because that was a place where in world you have a bunch of different beliefs coming together with their own different ideas on where things come from. And the whole idea of that line of fiction is to present in world legends that we're not saying this is the way it is it's not like us speaking as the publishers of the game to you the gms running the game that this is the only way it is it's meant to be sort of a place where you can like find inspiration and without it having to be canonical for every setting so that's kind of the kind of the the nutshell history of windsong abbey let's see here eleanor Someone is super curious about the post-World Wound area. What are the long-term effects of what's going on there? What's going on in the future? Uh, well, unlike um, a lot of Hollywood movies, uh, the demons didn't get sucked into the World Wound when it closed and conveniently uh, whisked away or destroyed or whatever. The, the ones that were in the area are still in the area. So that's kind of still a problem. And everything's covered in demon blight and so the crusaders have to clean that up except most of the crusaders that actually care about fighting evil have gone south to go fight tar Baphon. so you've got like a uh uh pardon the colloquialism skeleton crew up in mendev still trying to purify the place still trying to mop up all the demons um, and also, uh, Queen Galfrey went off to become the Herald of Iomi Day, so she left her Chancellor in charge, but, uh, you know, a hundred years of one ruler has sort of gotten people used to that one ruler, so the political situation is kind of shaky, and also, 
the people of Sarkoris are starting to come back now that their home isn't completely hopeless. Uh, but you have, uh, I mean, the Sarkorans left, or at least what survived of them left over a hundred years ago. And so you have this diaspora people who are coming back from all over the world. No one's sure what a, a quote-unquote true Sarkoran looks like anymore. You've got, you know, people from Wangi Expanse, got people from all over Avistan um, trying to figure out, you know, it's like, well, my ancestor said that uh, we get to have this this part of land, and this is where we used to live. So, well, my ancestor said it was mine, and, you know, this poor, the poor chancellor has, has to sort through all of this, and deal with uh, some historical wrongs that the Crusaders did to the original Sarkorans, uh, try and sort out, you know, demon trickery from actual Sarkoran relics. And even that, you know, normal Sarkoran relics are probably kind of bitter and mean after a hundred years of demonic occupation. Um, I'd, I'd call it kind of a mess. It's, it's a mess that could have a hopeful ending now that the world is closed, but it's still a mess. Um, and I, I really would like to go back and revisit uh, Mendev and Sarkoris um, again to see what it looks like in the post-World War era. Luis, uh, here's, yes. there's been a couple of questions, people asking like, what about a book about trade and services? People want to do caravan sailing or uh, you know, politics or intrigue or festivals or do we have any plans for anything like that wouldn't you know it if you go downstairs <laughs> right now to the paizocon store you can look can't touch the the new lost omens travel guide which covers a, a little bit of that um travel guide is focusing on um uh, i think someone referred to it as the guide to npcs <laughs> in a way because uh, it's all the stuff that happens when you're not adventuring all the culture all the food and festivals and trade and stuff like that. So there is a, a section on trade, which will discuss, uh, you know, how do they maintain the silver standard and, and keep all the prices relatively the same? Why, why does it cost me, you know, two silver for some very fine ale up in Avistan and also down in Garoon? Because oh, wouldn't you know it, you'll find out in that book. Uh, we get trade routes and a lot of different stuff. So there, there's a lot of uh, kind of nitty gritty, uh, real, world building going on in in that book uh you get a lot of details on like the base price for wool and lumber and stuff like that so if you want that kind of information i'd say check out travel guide and i think there is at least a spin-off they're kind of building off of what was in travel guide uh some details on the specific major trade routes throughout the inner sea that's going to be coming in an ap back matter in the coming months I think it's some blood lords. I don't remember exactly where it is, but it, it's 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 not too far out. So if you're looking for trade info, you you, you got that coming up here within the next year for sure. All right, let's see. Oh, here's one uh, from the chat. Is Vire politically a part of Ravenel or is it independent? Or does it play at being a good neighbor and partner to Contargo and then does what it wants? Vire is sort of, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's technically a part of Ravenel, but it's also very independent. And kind of the same way it was when it was before Ravenel seceded and became its own thing. Vire is sort of a um, place on the very edge of the the old nation of Cheliacs, now now um, Ravenel, where it's uh, sort of a what happens in Vire stays in Vire sort of mentality. It's a place where people can go and do whatever they want, and then leave and be pretty confident that whatever they got up to there is going to stay more or less secret. Um, it's also a place where the leaders and the more most dangerous, you know, menaces that are that are in Vire are really high level, and that's uh, sort of I, I kind of try to set Vire up as a high level urban location you can go to an adventure and uh, you know face challenges and so forth. So since it's a combination of um, really high level, there's a lot of NPCs and creatures there that that a lot of people on the inner sea region don't really want to mess with, but also because it's sort of a mutually assured destruction thing. Like if one person reveals secrets about it, their secrets are going to be revealed. So 
it's pretty much a place where Chilliax continues to stay hands off with and Ravenel is they they like having that there, but they're also kind of kind of walking on eggshells around it and letting it continue to do its thing so that um it can it can just stay basically what's going on. So yeah, it's sort of its own thing. Uh it ties a little bit. There's questions about what is Nagorber's past and are we gonna learn anything more about him? Um that's something eventually that I think we might uh investigate. Uh certainly I don't know if we came out and said it specifically in text in um, Hell's Rebels when we uh, first started talking about Vire, but that's where Nagorber was born, where he came to power first, where he's from. And it's it's one of the oldest cities in the inner sea region. It predates Chelyax for sure. And so there's definitely stuff going on there that um, I would love to get back to at some point, whether it's a like a novel or a, a venture path or, or what. So... Uh, let's see, Eleanor. Oh, here's a good one that people are asking about. Uh, who or what is the patron of the Crimson Oath? <laughs> it's a rasty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we almost said it outright in the world guide. I'm actually, uh, I feel like more people thought it was a Razni at the start than might think now. <laughs> I, I, I feel like most people thought it's a Razdi, and then as as the books went on, there's like maybe some other options. Maybe it's some it's a Razdi. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm of the opinion though that maybe a Razdi has possibly inspired other deities to to, my, uh, to maybe be helping out as well. So I feel like whether or not there's any direct influence, I feel like by this point, Regathiel is like, yeah, a Razdi's pretty cool. Maybe I, I like I like the cut of her jib. Maybe I'll also help out these knights and, and stuff like that. Here's a fun one for you, Lewis. Uh, are gods capable of getting drunk? Oh, yeah, for sure. If he can kill a god, he can get a god drunk, right? That, that probably makes <laughs> it even easier to kill a, kill a god, right? If they're drunk. What would Caden Kalen's life be like if he couldn't get drunk? Yeah. Well, I, I think I, that I think would be like the person god, you change. Yeah, you can choose to get drunk if, you, if you're a god. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I don't think there's anything official, but what is the head cannon on the cipher gate? There is actually something official. It's revealed. We hinted about it as early as uh, Rise of the Rune Lords, but the final adventure in uh, Return of the Rune Lords, spoiler alert. Um, there's going to be a certain amount of spoilers leaking out depending upon what questions we answer. But uh, the cipher gate is is basically a time window where you can like manipulate it and look forward or backward in time. And um, even if you use enough power, you can use it to warp time or move through time. It, it's it's sort of a, a time portal, basically. And we are pretty hesitant overall to do too much time travel stuff because if you time travel to another setting, you kind of, that's another timeline. That's a, a brand new setting. And we put all, a lot of work into setting up Galarian in the inner sea region in the current era. So, um there's a fair amount of time travel stuff going on in uh, Return of the Rune Lords, and you want to check that out for particularly the book six has a fair amount of Cyphergate stuff going on with it. Uh, there's also Dark Archive, I believe, has some some time themed stuff going on with that that you might want to check out. Uh, Eleanor. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. I know I know the answer to this one, but I want anyway. What is the status of Tian Sha? especially the various nations. Uh, is there anything planned for Tien Sha? Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, that was an easy one. Uh, let's get you another one real quick since I was back. Who is bringing Stasian technology in and why are they doing so? I mean, it's, it's not really someone bringing in active tents. It's someone brought in as in some Tsarist Russians came over with Queen Anastasia because uh, the rest of the Tsars were dead, so yeah, you may as well. Um, and among them were, you know, some of them had uh, World War One era Russian rifles, some of them had World War One era engineering knowledge, and that technology sort of leaked and collided with stuff from Numeria in Ustalov because the Technic League uh, collapsed and more stuff is leaking out of Numeria. So those two 
technologies kind of collided in Ustalov, where you have a bunch of people who uh, live in a creepy gothic setting and often make unwise decisions. And that's that's where you're starting to see more and more of the Stasian coils and technology based on it. Cool. Uh, Luis, here's sort yeah. of a kind of a top level question. Any lessons learned from ongoing lore uh, from the change from Pathfinder first edition to second edition? Um, I think one thing I've realized is that uh, it's so fun to, to set up new villains. So we, we need to be actively setting up new villains. And I think um, there's a lot of villains that were in 1E, maybe it's kind of on the fringes that we now get a chance to bring forward in the spotlight. Um, as fun as Rune Lords are, turns out we've gone through most of those at this point. So, you know, we got to find new villains. And once you know, it's time to, to promote a lot of them. Uh, I think, for example, Walkenna is one that is kind of getting primed to be a pretty notable villain that might be getting some resolution someday in the future. So, uh, but in addition to that, we also have an opportunity to create a lot of new villains. So I think this is a, a great time to kind of you know, look around places that maybe didn't have uh, a final boss, if you will, you know, um, and, and start setting those up so we can both give uh, groups at home uh, ideas to for, for their own campaigns and maybe you know, set up those dominoes for us to, to knock them down later in the future. Nice. Yeah, uh, building off that a little bit, there's a question about Tree Razor. Is he still vibing in the woods or looking to expand his territory? Um, we put Tree Razor into the the second edition bestiary as kind of a a replacement to Rask as the top tier monster, but also to set him up as as a villain that we're going to be doing something with in second edition. I don't know when or where or how. I would love to do a, a adventure path where it's basically elves versus tree razor and resolve that whole thing once and for all. Um, it's sort of like the storyline in Galt, which we also resolve in um, Night of Great Death. Uh, these regions that we set up over a decade ago that we always had a plan for, but there's more plans than opportunities for us to tell stories. So some of these just kind of keep sort of sitting, waiting in the wings. So yeah, there's going to be sort of a tree razor theme stumping at some point, I hope. Um, another question here that I can answer real quick. Are we ever going to get a technology guide uh, for second edition Pathfinder? I would love it. Um, and in fact, that's something that I've actually been working on in like kind of the off moments between working on Kingmaker, Venture Pass and other stuff like that is just kind of noodling in my head what that would do because Numeria is still a part of the setting and we're continuing to do, you know, society adventures that touch up against it, uh, locations. Uh, there's there's characters in like Lost Women's Legends and we need to have some sort of framework on how to present those, uh, those rules. In fact, for those familiar with Kingmaker, one of the first times we introduced high tech, super science stuff into the setting was through a character in that adventure path. And so in the remake of Kingmaker, I had to figure out how to present those two technological items in a way that still worked. And it's sort of the same problem I had first time around with Kingmaker. So I would love to have some sort of new technology guide. Let us know. That's the type of thing that if, if you want us to do something like that, let us know online or, or, or uh, that you're looking for that sort of things. And that'll, that'll definitely help get those, those squeaky wheels greased, I guess. Uh, Eleanor, let's grab one here from the chat. Um, why not uh, do a full city? Why not have more detail in cities? We've got room to shop uh, city to city. Uh, stay tuned but also yeah shop to shop come on <laughs> we what are you on from us you want the yellow pages we don't do that we don't do books that long <laughs> yeah. we we even had absalom which is probably the most in-depth we've ever gone or ever will go uh, on a particular city and that doesn't have every single shop every single building located partially because we that that, that would be impossible to fill a whole book with like unless you just want a line that says this is the shop that sells shoes this is the shop you know that, that's boring um you want plot hooks and, and ideas and npcs that come with that but you, we also want to leave uh, players and gms space to 
make those buildings be whatever they need them to be. If you needed a, an empty warehouse and you point at a building and it turns out, oh, actually that sells cakes, crap. But what do I do with this building? I, where do I put this warehouse? <laughs> you, know, you don't want to run into that. Uh, we, 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 would, we would prefer that we we leave those spaces open for, for, for GMs to fill in. That's why also sometimes we set up plot hooks and, and, and NPCs and villains and all these ideas that we in, don't get around to. We know we don't have enough time to get around to every single idea we set up just for the intent purposes that GMs and players will flesh that out in their own games. And also, if you're a player, you want to know where you live. And if someone already lives in that house or every house in the entire city, what are you going to buy? What house is going to be yours? You know, so so we, we intentionally leave some, some space to play with for that kind of thing. It's like those uh, those MMORPGs where, where everyone bought the houses that are on the map and now nobody can buy a house anymore. Yeah. Uh, since you mentioned Absalom there, Luis, who do you think is the most likely to become the new Primarch there? So I think if you want, I think the it's up to you, you know, your 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 group. But um, at the end of Agents of Edgewatch, you have you know three to six twentieth level PCs that probably one of them is angling to be uh, in a leadership role that might be the next ruler of Absalom. So in your home game, it's probably one of your PCs. But if it were up to me, if I had to decide today, like what our canon answer would be. Not saying that this is what it'd be. I, I think we just leave um, Winslow Starborn. I think he's probably doing a good enough job that the people like him and decide, you know what, let's make him the official role. Um, otherwise, um, there are a few other likely candidates um, in, in there. Uh, I think Ulthun comes to mind and, and um, leader of the, the, the guard, I forget her name. Uh, but uh, th th there, there's some other likely candidates among on the NPCs. But uh, most of them are focused on their other stuff, like their, their particular uh, goals, like Old Thune is focused on building up a nice last one, helping out with that. So I think Winslow would probably be like, oh, well, no one else really wants to do it. I've already been doing it. Let's just keep working with that. You're way more optimistic than me, Luis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. There's a couple of Red Manus questions. Uh, like, does does a Chikak kill everyone that survived the trials of the Starstone Cathedral? Um, the, what's the deal? What's going on with the Red Manus? There's sort of um, there's a little bit about them in Lost Omen Legends. Um, one of my favorite bits there is this rumor that somebody hired um, Bloodmistress Jacqueline to take out um, the Whispering Tyrant, and uh, this they're still doing their thing. I I would love to do a adventure path where you play red manis assassins and an evil adventure path where you go up against a greater evil. Um, we just did the mark of the manis uh, one shot adventure. So they're still out there doing their thing. So as for whether or not a check, kills the, those who survived the trials of the Starstone, I mean, there's only been a few really that made it through and became deities and he's, he's cool with them. So no, not really. Um, the Starstone Cathedral and uh, is something that a lot of people are asking about. Like, uh, we want a map. What goes on in there? How deep is the pit surrounding it? It's whereas the who, how did Aerodin die? Question is not something we're going to ever answer. I'm pretty sure at some point we're going to go do something full on with the Starstone Cathedral. It's kind of like the 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 biggest mega dungeon that we've promised and never done anything with. The the tricky thing is that it changes what's inside depending upon the person trying to take the test. All previous uh, storylines, there's one person taking the test, but the game we publish and Adventures for is not are not solo games; they're for parties. So, you know, the idea of what would happen if a party of adventures went in there is very it's it's never really been explored before. So, it's something we're going to be we're working on, but it's it's kind of the biggest big question of what's going on. Sort of like, um, so we want to we want to be able to, I guess, do it right, do it justice. So we'll we'll get there hopefully eventually at some point. Um, another question here in the chat, what city in the inner sea region hasn't had much focus on materials that you'd like to shine the spotlight on? And let's uh, get both of you to nominate a city you'd like to see fully explored. Eleanor, you go first. Uh, no, I don't want, I don't want to go first. I don't have an answer. Uh, Luis, you go first. Um, I, I feel like I'm rare among Paisa staff in that I, 
I pretty much enjoy dwarves. I'm into dwarves. Dwarves are cool. Uh, so I think checking out one of their Sky Citadels at some point and, and giving it a, a pretty good look would be, be fun to do someday. I think uh, for myself, um, since I'm, I've, I'm Scott Barissia stuck in my head and all of that, I'd like to see uh, um, Riddleport. We've done a, a big book on Sandpoint. We've done a big book on Magnamar. We've done a big book on Carbosa. We've done a big book on uh, Kermaga. Uh, we haven't done one yet on Riddleport, so that's one I'd like to see more. We've we've certainly done focus on Riddleport before, but that would probably be my nomination if I had to pick something that we've never touched anything about whatsoever before. Uh, I'd pick, um, I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll stall a little bit longer by calling. Is there is there a city more. like in Kionan maybe that we haven't? Um, yeah, I mean. Drive? There's not a lot of cities in Kionan, you know. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's sort of, it's it's the elves are pretty good about like living at peace with the environment and all of that. Um, hmm. Eleanor, do you have your answer yet? But um, I don't know. Maybe any of the cities in Thuvia, because we don't we don't know anything about the cities in Thuvia, and mm -hmm. th they've got to be doing something when they're not peddling immortality potions. Yeah, I, that, I'm going to jump on that one too. It's, it's like so much of what Thuvia is, is about before is like, this is where the Sun Orchid Lister comes from. And obviously there's more going on in Thuvia than that. And um, any one of those those locations there could be explored and, and is an opportunity for more. There's just such a long history of, of like the Tecratanon League and Jiskin Empire and Assyrian stuff going on in, in the background of Thuvia that there's got to be a lot of stuff going on in there. Uh, another one for, um, let's go with Eleanor, because I know you had such a fun time in Gods and Magic building that giant table at the end of it. Are there any plans for... <laughs> you hate me. Are there any plans for deities that didn't make the cut for Gods and Magic, like uh, Pico Perry and Tabris to be expanded upon? Uh, okay, so that's that's turning into secrets of the Paizo publishing schedule and not secrets of Galarian. But um, I mean, we we try to keep exploring um, deities that haven't gotten their their fair time in the sun. Um, if you want a gods and magic too, again, that's something to go bug the heck out of Eric Mona about. Uh, but but often. Those sorts of articles, when they're not showing up in books, will show up in the back matter of Adventure Path as, as as sort of a resource if that god features heavily in the adventure. So we hope so. But that doesn't necessarily mean it'll happen. Yeah, we can't guarantee that every god is going to get ported over to 1E in a big giant chart that way. But we are bringing stuff over occasionally here and there. So if you look at the Lost Omens books, there are usually every once in a while, you know, every two or three books, there's a section on religion that features new deities or, or bringing back some old ones. So Long Expanse had, had a big section of religion. Uh, Knights of Last Fall had that. So we brought over some of the Imperial Lords over to 2E in that manner. Um, so yeah, just keep an eye out. I can't guarantee that we'll get your favorite one in, but we, we're definitely looking to keep adding more uh, back into 2E as we go on. So another one for you, Luis. Uh, what's the Knight of Lastwall's stance on non-evil undead membership? We've got a one at least. Uh, Iliana, Il, Iliana Testaki. Test oh man. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> what yeah, about Iliana ghosts and skeletons? And yeah. Um, so Iliana Testic is is an interesting character in that she was a knight first and then became a vampire, uh, as you can read in the now released Knights of Lastwall, um, and. She, she's holding strong. She's, she's keeping to her good convictions and whatnot. And I think, first off, good undead are, are, are rarities enough that like they are all you know, a, a unique own little story on their own, even if it's not necessarily one that you play out at a table. It's like kind of an interesting enough NPC. She, Ileana got her own little focus in that book because of, of that being so notable. But if you read that book, it talks about membership into the Knights of Last Wall and how and I, the Knights of the Last will kind of get together when someone comes by and says, I want to join up. I want to be a knight. They discuss it and they say, oh, well, we don't think you have the right stuff 
for being a knight. And then there's kind of a little process, a little mini tribunal kind of thing, where eventually you, you can earn membership in the Knights of Lastfall if you're persistent and show your willingness to to do good and, and follow the morals and values of the Knights of Lastfall. So if, if the Knights of Lastfall probably would be very hesitant if a zombie or a skeleton or a ghost showed up, says, <laughs> I'd love to be a knight. Um, but they'd, they'd, they'd probably give, give that skeleton a fair shake. Uh, a fair try at, at being a knight, uh, and you know, if 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 they live up to it and and, and swear to do good, and that they'll they'll keep them along. And also, if anything does go wrong, the entire Knights of Lassau can just kind of converge and destroy this one undead pretty easily if it turns out it's a trick. I get, I have to interject here. <clears throat> We're so sorry, skeletons. You're so misunderstood. You only want to socialize, <laughs> but I don't think you should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, are there any plans about Abolus? Are they still scheming to control Galarian? Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of their thing. You know, they, they, they want to be the manipulators behind the scenes. We've got a lot of, we've got a fair number of veiled masters that we've outed as being like part of, you know, societies here and there. Um, one of the fun things about Aboleths, of course, is that the Abolith itself is from Dungeons and Dragons and uh, is in the SRD, which is why we can use it. But we've done a lot of work on expanding that whole family of monsters and giving them their own sort of history and mythology and stuff and Pathfinder. So I'm, I'm eager particularly to just look at, you know, how this, the Ulat Kani and the, the Veiled Masters and all of these other creatures in the Algolthu species, you know, what they're up to. I'd love to do more stuff with that. We did uh, um, the Ruins of Aslan Adventure Path, which touched on some of it, um, but there's certainly more possibility. One, I could do one secret. I think I've mentioned this in previous Secrets of Galarian panels, um, but the name Algolthu is, uh, to back up a little bit, we we often will rename something like a Sturge becomes a blood blood seeker or like NK because an Oncrab, because we need to use uh, those words for minis or comic books or novels or video games, places where we can't use the OGL, but we can use the idea of like a bug that burrows and spits acid or a flapping giant mosquito or something like that. So by making up our own versions of those names, uh, we're able to use those in other areas. And Aboleth is one of those we can't really use in um, without using the OGL. So we kind of bundled them all under the name Algolthu. And the word itself is from... I, uh, one of the words that I always mistype when I'm writing is although, and I swap the H and the G and it comes out all Gothu and, uh, Wes Snyder back in the day would always, whenever he was editing anything I wrote, he would circle it, put exclamation points and draw like a tentacled eyeball thing floating in the margin of the page and say, don't use this word. He will hear you. He will come after you. And so all Gothu kind of became a, a, I guess, a inter office meme. And then it's like, oh, that's a creepy sound of word and it keeps them in the same part of the alphabet so yeah i don't know if that makes them more or less frightening but <laughs> there you go uh let's see here eleanor uh interesting uh how do deities like saren ranch zero who share some portfolio material interact both within their followers but also uh as an overall divine pantheon uh, I mean, some of it is that they often don't have overlaps in their followers just for geographic regions. I mean, if you ask why certain gods are limited to geographic regions, I'm going to bounce you back to James. But um, I think it actually gets mentioned in Shizuru's entry in Gods and Magic that um, they're usually aware of one another and how they view one another probably depends on the individual god. For example, Shizuru views Iomi Day as, as sort of like a younger cousin or or like younger sister because they're they're very similar, but Iomi Day is so much younger and also so much less jaded, I think. Iomi Day hasn't had a whole lot of horrible things or or nasty choices. I mean, she certainly has had to make them, but she hasn't been as around as long as someone like Shizuru, who has had to make all sorts of compromises just to keep her own Celestial court running. Um, 
and so and so Shizuru is just sort of like, okay, that's that's nice, you you younguns with your high Fulton ideals and you know jumping around to action without thinking and that sort of thing. But but like deep in her heart, Shizuru also sort of envies not envies but you know it's sort of like a wistful feeling for her is like i used to be like that i used to know what what it felt like to just you know freely pursue what you thought was just without having to think about all these compromises that you made just to to keep the universe from falling apart um so so i think that when it comes to deities that are similar but not necessarily close to one another it's i mean it's going to depend on the individual deities for sure but i feel like they are all aware of people who are close to their domains as as to jump in because you threw that back at me a little bit um the reason that we we kind of organize them geographically like that is i mean it's simply we can't detail we've got hundreds of deities in our setting and we have to have some sort of mechanic by which we just organize in our own heads or when we're making paginations for books which deities we spend time talking about and um that's really the main thing it's also a case of like when you're if you're a cleric it's easier to pick your deity from a list of 20 than 200 as well so i think that as we continue to do new books uh the way we're doing it, like we expanded the deities in Mwanga Expanse and we're continuing to do that thing is is I think the uh, the best way to continue to explore those 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 characters and even though we switched editions a lot of the the lore and the personalities and all of that stuff about these deities still exists in the setting so you know it doesn't mean that just because we're in second edition you can't go back to like inner sea gods and, and uh draw information from that as well um Luis, people are asking about Razmir. What can you tell us about what's going on with Razmir? Razmir's doing great. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing's wrong with Razmir. I don't know why you would even ask about anything being wrong with Razmir. He's in a great know, state. With the I, secrets I just, of Galarian. I just got off the phone with him last night. He said he's doing fine. Um, and he's not at all concerned about Tarbifon knocking on his door. Uh, you know, anything like that. He's an all-powerful god. No, no worries about that. Uh, but he might be also deciding to take a break and uh, you know, travel around for a little bit and, and enjoy some time uh, elsewhere for a little bit because his country's doing fine. He can step away and it's no problem at all. Um, yeah, Razmir's great. Uh, probably the most divine of any god. Right. If if there were like numbers on gods, his, his would be infinite plus one. He's the he's the best. He's great. Yeah, pay <laughs> no attention to the rumors that there might have been a false Erasmir somewhere. That's just, just probably might have panicked uh, and hired <laughs> Jackie to to kill the whispering tyrant because <laughs> Razmir would never make a silly decision like that oh. if he were there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that clears it up perfectly. Yeah. Ha, um, let's see, we're running out of time here. I think we got time for one more uh, big question for all three of us to give our take on. Um, mm -hmm. I will uh, let's see here. What in any of your what? So. I like this question because it ties into the idea of like when we went from first edition to second edition, we didn't want to do a world shaking event and kind of destroy the world and remake it. We wanted to basically transition from the editions in world so that nobody in world would really notice that the rules changed. And um, at the same point, it gave us a chance to really update the, the core baseline of uh, the inner sea region to you know reflect on our interests and the world at the time because when we first built galarian it was you know 20 not 20 it was 10 12 years ago and it's very different world 10 or 12 years ago so question is uh what in your opinions is a country that has learned its lessons from its past mistakes and are doing things a bit different from pathfinder one to pathfinder two and i will nominate thassalon as that um <clears throat> That's a region that, you know, back in the day was full on evil empire, 
uh, evil wizards running everything and they went into hibernation and it's like, we'll, we'll come back when, you know, nobody is prepared for us and we'll pick up where we left off. And one after the other, after the other, the rune lords come back and they just, you know, they just got wrecked by adventurers. They're like, nope, 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 your time's over. And uh, the last of them, Sorshin, is looking at this and realizing that doing the same thing we used to be doing is just going to get us killed. So I need to do something different with uh, Thassalon going forward. So having her kind of try to make Thassalon be something that is is new Thassalon is a place based in um, a wilderness region and allows her to come back and do something new with it is, is my nomination. What about you, Eleanor? Does Vitrian count? Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know if That's colonialism a uh, counts as a mistake on the part of the people who are still in Vitrian, but uh, they learned a lesson, which is that um, <clears throat> I I probably shouldn't say what the lesson is in case the FBI puts me on a list. But um, <laughs> let's just say that colonialists take some very forceful persuading to go away and leave it at that <laughs> that's a good one uh luis what's yours yeah i think i would say last wall is uh, unfortunately had to learn a lesson about their <laughs> passivity right keeping an eye on tarvafan was a great call but maybe you know trying to find a way to fully destroy him would have been the, the ultimate uh should have been maybe the ultimate solution and now you know he broke free and a lot of people suffered as a result, but the Knights of Last Hold realized that like, okay, this whole just standing guard, you know, keeping the vigil wasn't working, or at least obviously didn't work. So let's take the fight to him and, and learning about that and, and uh, incorporating the lessons of the past. Uh, it, it's been, yeah, that's their goal. And now, now they have kind of a more active role in the world uh, as a result. So um, we'll see if that pays off, but I think they're definitely at least deciding, okay, the old ways didn't didn't play out the way we would hope. So let's, let's try something new. Cool. Well, thank you uh, both for helping me answer all these questions. Uh, I mean, you two are, have more than taken up the mantle of the, the, the lore keepers of Galarian. I love what you guys are doing with the, uh, the setting. And uh, it's, it's exciting to me because it's, it's like, I get to see new stuff that isn't something that's been festering in my head. And, and it's, it's great stuff. I, I love just, how you've expanded things. And uh, so thank you. Thank you from me to you for, for it making Galarian even better than ever. Um, I think that uh, we are out of time. Uh, we obviously didn't get to nearly all of the questions. So if folks still have questions, drop them in on the, on discord. Uh, we've, except, we've got ask me anything's going on there. Uh, there's a thread for secrets of Galarian that um, we can try to jump in and, and answer for the next day or two as, as, as we get the chance. Uh, in the meantime, thank you and uh, have fun with the rest of PaisaCon.